Is it better? Can you hear me now? All right, sorry about that if you're uh, watching us online. We're continuing with our uh, Truth for Living, uh, discussing the same questions that the kids uh, in the back are learning uh, so that we can, as families, discuss these things. And uh, I'm going to sort of, we usually review all the questions, and uh, we're running a little shorter on time this evening. So I'm going to jump straight to our question for this evening. And that question is, um, well, last week we looked at what authority does the Bible have over us, and this is it's important to, to discuss this because it's going to have a bearing on what we're looking at this evening. Because the Bible comes from God, then what level of authority does it hold? It holds the same level of authority that God has. Uh, it holds the highest and final authority for what we must believe and how we must Live And then, of course, 2 Timothy 3 shows us what the, what the particular areas of our life that Scripture is authoritative on. Um, teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. So I want to take and particularly talk about that idea of authority. So there are authorities that we have in our lives today. Name for me some authorities that, that we have today, just here on earth. So what? Civil. Our civil authorities, so like the government, uh, municipalities. That, so uh, uh, what, else, what else do we have? Are there bosses, the people that we work for? Um, when we talk about civil authorities or municipal authorities, what, what sort of form does that generally take? Who, who are the, huh? Government, government but, but which, what, who's the ones that enforce that authority? The police, all right? So I want us to think for a second. Let's say you're driving down the road here. You're leaving here tonight, or if you're at home, maybe you have to go to the grocery store afterwards, and, and, uh, and you are driving down the road, and this comes up behind you, all right? Now, you see the red and blue lights blinking, uh, flashing. They're right behind you. And so you know what you're supposed to do is get over. And always, my, my first thought is, oh, I'll have to get over so that this guy can go past me. Um, and, and that's if they go past you, then that's okay. But when they go over with you, that's usually not a good thing. Um, now you have this authority that's coming uh, to talk to you about something that you've done. Who knows what it is? Um, so my question is, how do you feel in that moment? Nervous? Um, are you are you particularly happy about what's going on? No. Right. So you may be regretting the actions that you've taken. Um, right. Dismay, those type of things. Right. So um, now g generally what's going to happen is when a police officer comes up to your window and you roll it down, you, you, you're probably not going to respond, oh, officer, I love it when you exercise your authority over me. I, I'm just so excited that you pulled me over. This is just, I love it so much. Thank you so much. All right, we recoil from this type of authority. And honestly, sometimes the police officer is just going to tell us, you shouldn't do this anymore. It may, there may not even be any repercussions. It might be a warning, a verbal warning, maybe a written warning. But otherwise, he's trying as an authority to direct you into how you're to conduct yourself on the road. We tend to recoil from this type of authority, um, and my fear is that sometimes we maybe also have the same attitude towards God's word. 
maybe open it up and, and we think, okay, now what am I not going to be allowed to do today? Or you, you come to church on Sunday. What's, what's the pastor going to get on my case about today? What, what, what am I going to have to deal with? And, and, and we look at that and we perhaps at times recoil from the authority of God's word. I mean, the reality is that in our lives, we want to be the main authority. We want ourselves to be that main authority. Um, and so because of our sinful nature, we fight against Scripture's authority. So that brings us to this last question of this first section of these, um, these catechism questions that we've been going over. We've been looking at the Word of God. And so the last question, question 10, is this. How does God want us to feel about the Bible. How does God want us to feel about the Bible? Um, I think that it can be very easy to approach the Bible from a very clinical way, you know, a very cold way of looking at it. We have the knowledge of everything that we've gone through. We know and would agree that everything in the questions that we looked at, how it has authority over us, yes, that's true. That it's from God, yes, that's true. That it's inspired, yes, that's true. We can affirm those things. But I think this last question is probably one of the more important questions that we need to examine in ourselves as to what our answer is. How do we feel about the Bible? Do our emotions and our feelings matter? Yes, because they're a reflection of what? Our hearts. So what does God want our hearts? How does he want us to feel about the Bible? And so the answer is, God wants us to love the Bible so much that we are eager, that we are looking towards it. That idea of eagerness is that we're, we're, we're looking forward to the opportunities to obey and to trust it. Our verse is from Psalm 119, passage of scripture that speaks all about God's word. And the psalmist says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation. How long? All the day. And so that eagerness shows itself in the amount of time that we spend with it. And really, you show and display the things you love, and you can evaluate that by looking at how much time you spend with the things that you love. Um, and so if we're truly loving God's law, it will be natural for us to think about it all day long. So I wanted to just quickly, in the next 10 minutes, or 15, or 20, however long I go, uh, someone once told me, he's like, I don't know why you worry about, uh, about when to stop. And of course, they don't come on Sunday evenings or Wednesday evenings, so they're not here. But, but I'm like, oh, I like that attitude. <laughs> so, uh, but I'll, I'll try to keep this as brief as possible. Loving God's word. All right? I think it's important for us, uh, particularly as we look at this, to, to see that we do love God's word and what that looks like. So we're going to look at why we love God's word or, or why we must love God's word and then how we can display that. So just three things. The first thing is we must love God's word because it reveals him. Now, this is an important distinction to keep in mind. Um, why do we listen to God's word? Why should what the Bible say says, conduct my conduct at all? Why is it something that I love? I think sometimes we look at the Bible as a sort of 
um, I've heard this said like an acrostic for Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. I don't know if you've heard that type of thing before. But that is not the reason we come to God's word. We don't come to God's word so that we can have a list of do's and don'ts. And that is, I, I fear, how many of us approach God's word. Are we, you know, we're, we're, we're struggling with wisdom in some sort of situation in our life. So, well, let's go to Proverbs. And, and perhaps in Proverbs I can find something that's going to help me with this situation. Or, or we look and, and we say, well, how can I be blessed by God? And I look for steps to do those things. God's word isn't given to us to give us a list of do's and don'ts. Now, does it have do's and don'ts? Yes. But those do's and don'ts aren't given to have us focus in on what we're doing. The Bible is given to ultimately show us who God is himself. It's to reveal him to us. And so we love God's word because it reveals him. Jesus speaks about this to the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, they were a group of people that loved the do's and don'ts. They look to the law to provide for them a list of different things to go. And so Jesus talks to them. He says, look, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And their, their process of thinking that they're going to gain eternal life is through doing those do's and don'ts. But notice what Jesus says, that, that the scriptures, they bear witness about who? About him. That the whole point of the scriptures is not about do's and don'ts. It's about who Christ is. And notice what he says. Yet you refuse to come to me so that you may have what? Life. The primary motive for studying the word of God is not to get instructions, not to get blessings, not to get anything the primary motive for studying God's words is so that we may see. We may see who God truly is. God chooses to, review, to reveal himself to us in his word. And then as we see him in his word, we are able to then truly know what life is. In fact, this is what Jesus says in John 17, 3. This is eternal life, all right? What is eternal life? That we, what? That, that we keep a list of do's and don'ts. That we make sure we have a, a moralistic society built upon the principles of the, of the word. What is eternal life? It's knowledge of Christ and through, or knowledge of the Father through Christ. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is, you know, we often think of eternal life as this thing that we're constantly reaching for. We shouldn't be reaching or seeking to gain eternal life. We should be seeking to gain knowledge of God himself. And actually, eternal life is actually sort of a secondary result of knowing God. Because to know an infinite being takes how much time? An infinite amount of time. And so... Why We love the scriptures because that's how we're able to see who God is. And that's where we see Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 talking about this very fact as he ta discusses Moses. Talks about, he talks about how Moses, when he went up on the mountain, who did Moses see on that mountain? He saw God. He saw his glory. 
And he would come down off the mountain, and as a result of that, his face had been changed so that it shone with the glory of God, so much so that it caused fear to the Israelites. So what did Moses have to do? He had to put a veil over his face so he wouldn't frighten the Israelites. And then Paul says, to this day, that same veil lies over the hearts of men. We can't see, because of our sinful nature, the glory of God. But when we turn to the Lord, what happens to that veil? It's removed. And it's removed through the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And so now through the Holy Spirit, the veil being lifted, we behold the glory of the Lord in his word. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. And again, where is that glory seen? What's he talking about? Reading the law of Moses, the word of God. When we come to that today, we see that glory. And then it has an effect on us like it had an effect on Moses. Moses saw God's glory and he was transformed. So what happens to us when we see God's glory in the word? We're transformed from one degree of glory to another. And all of this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So we, first of all, must love God's word because it reveals him, because it brings us to him. Um, What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The greatest commandment is to love God. So as an outgrowth or an implication of that greatest commandment, I will love the thing that gives me more of God, won't I? And what is that? The word. So we must love God's word because it reveals him. But then... So 2 Corinthians was a nice transition statement because not only does God's word reveal him to us, it also transforms us. We must love God's word because it transforms us. Again, before there was a veil set over our face to keep us from seeing the glory of God, we weren't able to discern it. We were by nature children of wrath. We were destined for destruction. We had wanted nothing to do with God. He was our enemy. And of course, eternal life is found in knowing him, but apart from the work of grace in our hearts, we didn't want to know him. We don't want to know him. So we need to be transformed. And that transformation happens by seeing him and seeing that glory and turning to Christ and then scripture working. And and what Paul says there in 2 Corinthians, we're changed into the same image of the glory of God from one degree of glory to the next. So scripture is the means by which we become progressively more like Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is breathed out by God. So it's breathed out by God's breath, exhibiting his nature. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that, so what's the goal? That we would be complete, equipped for what? Every good work. Apart from the word of God and and the revelation of God through his word, the spirit bringing new life in our our hearts and giving us freedom with God's word, 
we don't have the ability to, we don't have what we need to do good works. But as we come to the word of God, we love it because now we can do good works. We're transformed to be like our Savior. Doctrine, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, all of those things that Scripture is profitable for are driving us to be more like Jesus. Think of what the psalmist says in Psalm 139, 23 through 24. We want God to search us and to know our hearts, to try us and to, and to know our thoughts and to see if there is in us any what way? Grievous sinful way and we seek to be led in the way everlasting you know it's it's interesting how paul talks about in second corinthians we behold god's glory and that term behold it actually has the idea of of looking with the intent of studying or or correcting yourself it actually is often used of looking into a mirror um, you think about it. I think, ladies, maybe this is something you do more than men do, but you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror. And, and what do you do when you look in the mirror? Well, you, you look to see maybe I need to, you know, fix, fix the face up a little bit or whatever. Um, I've heard some pastors, they talk about, you know, you look, get up in the morning, you look at, in the mirror. If the barn needs painted, paint it. I've heard things like that said, you know. And so you look in the mirror and it shows you the imperfections, and so you seek to correct those imperfections when you look in the mirror. The word of God does the same thing. It gives us the image of the glory of God, and then it reveals to us how we fall short. And by God's grace, there are, and, and the, the righteousness of Christ working its way out in our lives, there are ways in which we are not falling short of God's glory. Praise God for that, that we're being changed into the image of God. But are we there yet? Are we fully like Christ? No. So are there still ways that we do fall short? Yes. And so God's word is given to us to point those things out. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. Look, search me, test my heart, know my thoughts, see the grievous ways that are in me. And then notice what lead me in the way everlasting. How does God choose to lead us? I think we all know Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It guides us in the way everlasting. And so what we should do then is what Peter speaks of. Peter in this passage in 2 Peter is talking about how he's seen the glory of God in the transfiguration. And then he says that we have something more fully confirmed, the prophetic word. The Bible, which we need to do well to, to pay attention to as a, what? Lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. So we must love God's word because it reveals him. We must love God's word because it transforms us. And then finally, we must love God's word to proclaim it passionately. Now, here, here's my question. How, ma how many of you here are exempt from the Great Commission? Raise your hands if you don't have to obey the Great Commission. All right, good. Nobody's hand is up. I'm putting my hand down now. God's call for all his people is to share the gospel, to go and to make disciples. How can we do that 
if we're not passionate about the gospel itself? How can we do that if we don't love the means by which God chooses to bring people to faith? How does faith happen? Faith comes from hearing. Hearing through what? The word. The word of Christ. This is the very thing in which we are to point people to so that they would come to faith in Christ. So that they would turn from their sin and turn to Christ. How can we... How can we call on men to repent if we are not also equally passionate about the word of God? Jesus was this way. I always found this interesting. Luke 24, after the resurrection has happened. Um, I mean, this is, this is Jesus walking with these disciples on the road to Emmaus. Right? Everything Jesus says is what? Scripture. It's true. It's It's inspired. But what does Jesus use in sharing the gospel with these disciples on the road to Emmaus? He begins with Moses and all the prophets. He points them to scripture. Interpreting to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And this this is why we're passionate about scripture. Because as we share scripture with others, we are sharing Christ with them. Because every page of Scripture points to Jesus Christ. Paul had this same desire within him. He became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to him so that he could make the word of God, what? Fully known. And so he proclaims Christ. And notice the fervor in which, again, he's making the word of God fully known. Warning. Teaching with wisdom that we can present everyone mature in Christ. I'm toiling, struggling with all energy that God works in him. I mean, do you not feel the passion of Paul for the word of God here? Everything in his ministry is focused around that. I know particularly for me, there's been one passage of scripture that I think describes the way I feel before I'm going to preach a passage. So I'll study the scriptures, and, and as I'm moving through 1 Peter, I've just started working on my outline for the next section in 1 Peter, and it's, it's already happening. I, I have like this, this desire, this need to, to, to preach and to say what God is saying in his word. Jeremiah had that same experience in Jeremiah 29. Now, thankfully, God has been gracious to keep much of the same results that Jeremiah had from me. I'm not being beaten and, and thrown in stalks, and, and uh, God has been gracious to me in that. But Jeremiah, he spoke God's word, and he got beat up for it. Now, you can imagine that gets tiring after a while. So Jeremiah says, look, I'm done. He says, if I say I will not mention him or speak his name anymore in his name. Jeremiah can't help himself because why? There is where? In his heart, what? A burning fire shut up in his bones. He's weary with holding it in and he cannot. It, it should be so much our passion. God's word should so much be our passion that it should burn in our bones so that we cannot help talking about him and talking about his word. 
It's the thing we love the most. We love it not because we idolize the book. We love it because the book gives us Christ. We love it because the book transforms our lives. And we love it, we must love it, if we're going to passionately proclaim Christ to those who don't know him. So how does God want us to feel about the Bible? He wants us to love it. Love it so much that we are eager to obey and to trust it. And again, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 119.97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that it brings us to you, that it shows us you. Father, may you, by your spirit, continue to well up within our hearts a growing desire and love for the word because it shows us who you are, it changes who we are, and it sends us forth to passionately point other people to Christ. Father, work in our midst through your spirit. We pray this in Christ's name, pleading his blood. Amen. Thanks for joining us here in person. Thanks for joining us online. Have a great rest of your week.